Hey, this is Luis Avila, founder of Iconico, community organizer, lover of dancing, and now a new podcaster. During this year's pandemic, I had a realization that I will have to do a lot of things that made me uncomfortable. And launching this new podcast is one of them. I produced and co-hosted a daily radio show for over four years during the height of immigrant rights fights in Arizona over 10 years ago. I loved it. Talking to people who were working on interesting projects, discussing how to hold leaders accountable, and at times organizing collective action with others. So when friends started telling me that there were many new podcasts and asking me why wouldn't I give it a try, I thought, well, I've done this before. Why not jump in? The difference this time is that I run a consulting firm, Iconico, an organization focused on supporting people working on social change and public engagement. We work with school systems figuring out how to better engage families, with labor unions to make sure that their members are receiving the most impactful training and leadership development, and with electoral and advocacy campaigns all around the world. So I thought, why not reach out to people we admire at Iconico, people we work with, or simply people we want to hear from and have conversations about the work they do. And this is how Iconico Exchange was born. Iconico Exchange is an effort to discuss how changemakers approach their work. Iconico Exchange. We talk about campaigns, places of tension, and joy in our movements, and get inspired by organizers and activists all around the world. Iconico Exchange. In this first episode, we interview Marisa Franco, one of the founders of Mi Gente, a political home for Latinx and Chicanx people who seek racial, economic, gender, and climate justice. I've been following the work of Marisa since her days at Endalon, and I've been amazed by the way this organization has been in the forefront of the most critical social justice issues of our time in the United States. Every interview at Iconico Exchange will start with the question, what do you do? I don't know if it happens to a lot of us, but I find it hard to explain what I do to my family sometimes. So instead of titles, we first wanted to hear how people see their work, how they explained it to a friend or a family member. Let's hear how Marisa describes what she does. Well, um, this might not deal with the family comprehension, but years and years ago, um, my first, my, like a mentor of sorts for me, um, was a very... It was an organizer that I respect very much. We were out sitting and I was, you know, being emo, politically emo, you know, trying to figure out what I was going to do at the time. And she said to me, um, do you want to be an architect or do you want to be a carpenter? And what she meant was like, as an organizer, do you want to be kind of more designing things a little bit more at the planning stages and kind of like more, you know, on paper or do you want to be like putting up the walls of stuff and i remember i felt a level of like i knew exactly what she was talking about and i absolutely refused to <laughs> pick one <laughs> and i think that's kind of always been my posture like i can't i i just don't think you can be a good architect if you don't actually go and see what's being built and you get your hands dirty and then like I just believe that the people that build things have a really good sense of how things can look and what it takes to, you know? So I really do kind of still view myself as some hybrid of like an architect and a carpenter when it comes to organizing. Um, and then, you know, uh, I think what I would describe it as is like, 
three, you know, three component parts that I think you have to be good at or that are, are critical in at least the work I do is one, being able to bring people together and keep them together, um, being able to design and help develop collective action. So bringing people together to take collective action. And then third is to impact um, impact systems. So economic systems, social systems, physical systems, but on the most basic level is taking collective action to solve problems that matter. As you can hear from Marisa, a lot of what she does is making meaning of our systems and always finding ways to organize people for collective action. But while that sounds simple, it's something that is in continuous evolution. So let's hear where it started for Marisa. Who organized her? And how did her politicization look like? My, my story with it, with how I got politicized, was really like, I remember early on there was this training that I was a part of and it was like, theories of social change or how, you know, approaches to social change. And that was so confusing, but basically it was describing like how people try to address problems, you legislation, run for office, do service, do this, do that. And I feel like early on and when I was finding my way, I feel like I tried everything. I tried all of those things. I was, you know, I'm from Arizona originally. I'm from this town called Guadalupe, Arizona, which is like in the, in the, you know, metropolitan Phoenix area, but it very much is its own, almost like a small town in, in the big city. And I grew up in a period that, you know, if we were to understand that period historically, there was a, a significant investment by, in particular, nativists and anti-immigrant forces in the state of Arizona. Mm -hmm. It was a place that they decided to build all kinds of infrastructure from vigilantes at the border to legislators who are who are basically making immigrants, um, you know, their guinea pigs in terms of the most racist uh, nativist policies of that generation. And so, you know, I grew up and I remember ballot initiatives. Um, every year there was something new in the legislature. Um, and, and as a really young person, I remember that in many ways, California played that role. The California was a place where you were seeing, you know, tax on affirmative action, Proposition 187. And there was some point where Arizona took the baton. And so some of what politicized me was that being in that context and seeing what the political rhetoric was, experiencing um, being told to go back to Mexico at, at every turn. <laughs> and I think that like context, maybe it's my sociology background, but like the social milieu of the time really politicized me. And there was on the other side, I felt like I didn't even understand what it meant to have a community fight back, but there was no fight back. So that was kind of what I felt like was a whole. And I ended up, you know, at that time I did a lot of like service work. I did a lot of work with children and that was, I think it was actually the kids I worked with in some ways that politicized me um, because I, yeah, I got to see what are the impacts of doing away with bilingual education? What, are the, what prospects do they have? Um, and, and in some ways that, that experience kind of moved me to ask different questions. Um, and then I ended up randomly finding my way to go to Cuba 
Um, I was in the university and that really was like another step. And so there was something to me about rooted in the place, time, place, conditions of where you're from. And then if you have the opportunity to leave it, even for a second, that comparison and that exposure, I felt like shook me loose in this way that that yeah changed the questions I was asking myself that then made me seek them and then it kind of it took me on this path um, where I ended up actually leaving Arizona and and really developing as an organizer outside of the state for several years. It's a big jump to go from Guadalupe, a small town in the Phoenix metro area, to be running a national campaign that pushes bold public narratives with efforts like abolish ICE or not one more deportation. So I wanted to learn more about how Marisa made that transition. How did she connect the dots that there was power in our differences? Leaving Arizona, really, I was organizing around homeless issues in San Francisco. I had never seen that level of poverty. I, I was pretty much organizing on what you would consider skid row. Um, and it was really, 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 really different <laughs> than anything I'd ever seen. And I don't come from money, but it's just different. City poverty is different. And so it changed, it, you know, every and then I kept going from place to place. And so I think what it did was it it gave me a understanding, like it, it provided me experiences that gave me at least some level of proximity to other communities. And then, you know, in each place, for example, the Latino community is really, really different. Like even in the Bay, you know, the Mission District is not the same as the Fruitvale District in Oakland. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I went to, I lived in New York for several years and you were in the Bronx, you know, and I was seeing all the poblanos with their eyebrows plucked like Puerto Ricans and then the Puerto Ricans being like, what are y'all doing here? And then, you know, it's just like, it just, it's, it just like, I, the, the fact that I kind of jumped around a lot gave me some level of perspective and proximity. You know, the good part about it was that it gave, you know, it was just like a lot of different relationships, a lot of different perspectives so that it wasn't, you know, I only, I know everybody in this one place. I know everything about this one thing. So, you know, I, there's been pros and cons to it, but I think that if you're gonna do, in some ways, me hint is like a full circle thing to me. And if you're going to do anything with any level of, you know, vestige of integrity and respect. If you're talking about Latinx people, you, you know, you have to be able to really decipher, understand and plan for just the vast diversity of people that are in this umbrella um, and what make, what is very different. And then what are, what are points of, of similarity that unity could be built around? Mi Gente has become a digital space that radically includes so many identities in the pursuit of justice and self-determination. I've attended multiple actions and conferences organized by Mi Gente, and I always walk away feeling part of something big. I wanted Marisa to share more about how is it that they build this organization and why is it that it feels so different? Este, I would say there's, you know, there's two little kind of stories. There's a time. Um, it was post-DACA, Deferred Action for Child Arrivals, and post-DAPA, which was like the second round that Obama did that was was providing relief from deportation for parents of U.S. citizen children. And there was a real crossroads. You know, a group of us had been very active working together on deportations um, in the Not One More Deportation campaign. And, and it was like, okay, you know, where do we go next? Understanding the problem wasn't done. Understanding that 
there was going to be this very small grouping of people that would get relief and then everyone else was going to face this massive deportation machine that wasn't letting up. So there was this just like, what do we do? And a lot of what we'd been doing was making interventions on business as usual in the immigrant rights movement. This idea that our people have to go on their knees begging um, the way that, you know, respectability politics impacted what stories or who got to speak and what the demands were, um, the arguments that, that really centered what's in it for the U.S. Um, rather than a justice frame or even recognition of of why it is that people are coming to this country and the role that the U.S. plays in the so we are coming out of a, a practice of, of really disruption, but not disruption for the sake of disruption because the status quo strategies didn't work. Um, and we're actually getting our people um, in more and more precarious political situations. So it was like, where do we go from here? And then on the other hand, like being in Arizona and seeing, you know, our neighboring state, California, and Kind of for me, it was this question of like, okay, clearly there is a shift happening in the state of Arizona where the population is changing. That in some ways explains some of the the rise of anti-immigrant, you know, policies and, and political forces that we were dealing with for so many years. What what is it gonna mean for it to be to have more Latinos in power? For what? Will it be any different, really? And so for me, that was like a really big and burning question is like, what kind of leadership do we want? And what is it going to take for that leadership to be successful, both in terms of how do you make big things happen? You know, when someone gets elected, well, they need a base. We don't have bases for the most part in the Latino community. There is no infrastructure. But then also, how are we holding people accountable when they start to lose perspective and start to, you know, sway a little bit? Um and so Mijenta really was like, how do we address those two things? So inside of the immigrant rights movement, it's like, what does it look like for immigrants actually, and Latino immigrants in particular, to start advocating beyond their immigration status? There is a wealth of, of leaders. There is a wealth, as an abundance of skills, of desires, of need. Um, what would it look like for some of the like traditional civil Latino civil rights organization to have to contend with the documented leaders that are not just dreamers, um, including, including dreamers, but not exclusively? What if we built something like that? It all sounds beautiful, but we know how our communities are not homogeneous, right? As you listen to this, folks who have historically excluded our communities are finding new ways to pit us against each other. How? Giving some of us proximity to whiteness. The closest a Latinx person gets to the concept of whiteness, the less discrimination they think they'll be part of, leaving behind black, indigenous, queer folks, and many others that can't opt out of their identities. Historically, whiteness builds power by absorbing communities that it used to renounce. Think of the Polish, the Italians, and even the Spanish. So, how is it that Marisa thinks about this when engaging Latinos in Migente's work? The point of departure, and it's very altruistic, but for me, I believe people want to be on the right side. Um, that's kind of my point of departure until it's not. Like I was, I was telling somebody, it's like, um, you know, I have like a, I have like a handful of cousins that like, 
they were New England Patriots fans for a really long time. And I'm like, well, you, you live in Phoenix. You don't even know what New England is, but they know who Tom Brady is and they know that they won the Super Bowl every time for years and years. And then probably 10 years before that, they were, you know, a Niners fan or a Cowboys fan. And, and it's, there is this, this feeling of, I think, people wanting to be on the winning team. And I think what, what that to me is indicative of is a feeling of internalized shame, is a feeling of not knowing where you can hold on to. Um, and I think that it's super complicated with Latinx people because sometimes we don't know where we come from. Part of how I think about it, one, we can't win. <laughs> so so if there's one thing like we really, I really like hope when people join me and then go in like some people, you know, are in different ladder, you know, of engagement, but how, how mass can we get this understanding of power and both what it, the power we're up against, but the power we need to generate. And when you think about it from that perspective, like we can't afford to be writing people off because they don't check this box or check that box. But, but on the other hand, then like, well, if people don't know where they're from, or maybe they're not proud of where they're from, or maybe, you know, all these things, it's very complicated. Like you have a choice now. And so you have a choice now in terms of who you want to be and what you want to stand for and what side you're on. And so then it's, it's that thing of like creating, you know, if it's about collective action, like how are we creating the conditions for people to do that and to be their best selves? And I think that's fundamentally a healing thing and I think that it's very important inside of our community um, as like a as a as a political exposure because I don't think that I think that there's just been such a disinvestment in community organizing that, that there is a, a, a lack of understanding of what it takes how things happen how how things happen how don't how things don't happen um, and instead you know we we are apathetic. Um, we try to go get traded to a winning team or we justify our own abuse. And whether we're talking about a deportation, whether we're talking about a police officer shooting someone, whether we're talking about why someone can't get a job or why they're locked up, those are the, you know, there's there's a set number of excuses and kind of prescribed stories. And so I think we need to quite literally make new stories and and create new muscle memory. And if we don't do it, um, if we if we kind of spend our time like explaining why certain people shouldn't do that and why other people should, like I just we're already operating from a deficit. I think that's how sometimes we look at it is like we are up against we're we're going into a hurricane with an umbrella. So o lo vamos a hacer o lo vamos a hacer. There it is also deeply spiritual and deeply emotional. Um because I do think that for many of us we we navigate different periods of our lives where we answer those questions differently, but they're painful. Um, and so I really want to create uh, spaces and opportunities for people to feel like collective action and taking those kinds of stands and being able to be their full selves with others as like a different path forward and a different story we tell. The work of Mijente is not only intentional, but it's also not afraid of leaning into discomfort. In the last few months, they've hosted conversations about Latinos' relationships to blackness, have organized tech workers to call out the ways their employers are supporting the criminalization of immigrant communities, and are constantly incubating new efforts to advance justice. 
This is what Marisa Franco told us they're working on right now. So the big thing I would say is the Fuera Trump campaign. So folks go to FueraTrump.com. We've got mad like memes, just stuff on social media. There's like all kinds of stuff in terms of promoting content. Um, we also have this really dope like our take on like the sister district and all that stuff, but like more Latinx style. So we're partnering with organizations that are doing dope voter mobilization work and that are doing that in between cycles. So um, folks can actually adopt a state and become, so there's these different battlegrounds that are, that are going to be um, decisive for the, the U.S. presidential election in November. And Latinos in those states are going to be a decisive vote. And so like states like Arizona, Florida, um, but then also places where we've been trying to build more infrastructure where there isn't as much states like North Carolina and Georgia, which in some ways represent like the new battlegrounds, the new tipping points and, you know, represent a, a, a potentially a new center of gravity politically in this country and and Latinos will play a big role there. So folks can actually go to Fuera Trump and join one of the teams. So there's an Arizona team that's supporting the work of Lucha here, here in Arizona, mobilizing voters, or folks can join the Florida team supporting New Florida majority. Um, And, and there's different states. And so if you join that, you'll get briefings, you'll get opportunities to take action. Um, and we're building like a team around it. So then you can also meet other folks who are like-minded. So I'd say that's like a huge, of a, a big opportunity and like of big importance as we get down to where we're under 100 days till election day. So I think folks doing any, any and all they can is really important. I enjoyed the conversation with Marisa so much that I wanted to know what we would talk more about if we had more time. This is what she said. I would love to geek out with you on networking theory and like looking at how ants are organized and how different types of yeah. organize themselves and like how do we actually innovate networking. You're a really, really good networker. You, I can tell you kind of move from like you know, you see, you see the, you see it in a totally different way than most people. Um, and I'm always trying to figure out, yeah, how do you, how do you teach that? Or what are the models that actually explain it in a way that actually works? Um, so network theory, I think is super, super interesting. And then related, I know that you all, um, you all do this work and I know this is something really important to you is just leadership development. Um, if we start running people for office, how are we going to make sure that the staff people that are working with them actually have the skills necessary? Um, how are we actually getting people to work inside of government outside mm -hmm. of an office? Just like all that, those, the level of work and training, Um, and like the, the ladders of, of engagement and development that need to be um, created, I think are things I would love to talk more about. To learn more about the work of Mijente and Marisa Franco, visit mijente.net. That is Mijente with a J. Big thanks to Grecia Beltran, who helped produce the show, Francisco Flores for the beautiful audio production and support, to Monica Novakowski and Jacob Acuña from the Iconico team for the digital promotion, to Dominic Medina and Senia Arona from the Fuerte Network for their support with distribution, and to you for giving this a try. Next week, we'll be talking about labor unions, and are they still relevant? What is their role in the conversation about racial justice? And a lot more. Visit Iconico.io to sign up for emails. We share job opportunities, campaign resources, and trainings. You can also find us on facebook.com slash Iconico campaigns. 
The music is by Barrio Lindo, and this episode was edited by me, Luis Avila. Have a great week. Don't forget you are powerful, more so when you are with others. When was the last time you danced with your eyes closed, remember? <laughs> uh, I think it was New Year's Eve, which is my favorite holiday. That is so long ago, though. Yeah, I pro that's the time I for sure know that I did dance with my eyes closed. But maybe I did. Maybe I did when I'm here by myself or like dancing with my kid, but... <laughs> <laughs> I I actually I actually order um, from this like teacher's page uh, like a disco ball you connect to your phone and uh, and sometimes on the weekends I just turn off the lights and like connect it and it looks like a little club in my house and I just dance like reggaeton uh, for a few hours. <laughs> I just but like I can't like I need the like the roof is sweating and you feel like you're just like almost trapped like that's the part I crave so yes and the drinks yeah <laughs> okay okay ay 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 the views and opinions expressed by the guests and hosts of Iconico Exchange are their own and they do not necessarily reflect the views of Iconico or the Fuerte Network <laughs>